Hi, this is Pastor Craig. Thank you for tuning in for the latest episode of my podcast. I hope you enjoy it. You can contact us at studyhiswordministries at yahoo.com. Thanks again. Good morning. This is Pastor and Bible Teacher Craig Heilman. Welcome to Study His Word, the radio ministry of New Hope Christian Ministries of Mount Gilead, Ohio. We are an independent Bible teaching ministry committed to bringing the clear and accurate teaching of God's Word to you. This morning, we continue with another study in our series from the book of Ephesians. If you would like to hear previous studies in this series, please visit our website, www.newhopemg.org. So now, grab your coffee and Bible, and let's get started. All right, we're in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we last left off uh, verse 2 or 3, somewhere right in there. I want to pick up in verse 3, but we'll read the first couple so that we have some continuity here. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Paul says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So Paul's talking about here about how we were once dead. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. And it's God who through Christ made us alive. And he says here in in verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Um, turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Interesting thing about that word walk, it's a verb, and in that in that tense, it means continuous. It's ongoing, and it implies growth. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. You know, our walk in the Spirit, is, it's continuous, it's ongoing, and we're, we're making progress. A word about this word lust, when he talks about the lusts of our flesh. We have a tendency many times to think of that word lust in the sexual connotation or in the sexual sense. Understand the, the Webster's Dictionary, and this is going to be Webster's 1828, and the reason that I will reference Webster's 1828 is because when Noah Webster wrote his dictionary in the early 1800s, his basis for many of his definitions were taken from how the word was used in the Bible, what the word meant when it was used in the Bible for him writing out the definitions. It squares with how words were used and what they meant in the writings of like the Declaration of Independence, the writings of our Constitution. So when we look up words in Webster's 1828 dictionary, we get a definition of what that word meant at the time that this country was founded based on what our Bible was teaching us based on what our documents were saying. So in Webster's 1828, and, and you'll find in dictionaries today, most of the definitions are going to be the same, 
But sometimes when you have a definite, you know, like you'll have a primary and a secondary and a third and a fourth, sometimes today we'll take that fourth or fifth meaning of a word and that becomes the popular meaning or usage of the day. For instance, you know, perfect example, you look up the word gay or, or you look at how the word gay is used today versus what it meant 100 years ago. You know, I mean, totally different in how it's used in society. All right, Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines lust as, number one, a longing desire, eagerness to possess or enjoy. Definition number two, carnal appetite, unlawful desire of carnal pleasure. Definition number three, evil propensity, depraved affections and desires. So basically, when we see that word lust, it's referring to those longing desires, all of our sinful longing desires. So when Paul says here, he said, you know, here in verse three, we all at once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. It's all of our sinful desires, all those sinful things that we love and desire and long for. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 3 says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And again, Peter, keep in mind, Peter was a Jew, and he says, you know, we ourselves have spent time living like the Gentiles. Again, talking about all those different desires and lusts, and he enumerated several of them there. But that's, that's the human nature, is we have those desires, sinful desires. Turn backwards to the book of Psalms. Psalm 51, verse 5. Um, this is David. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. What, what David is saying there is, we're born with that sinful nature. We were brought forth in iniquity. And that just, that just supports what Paul's saying here about the fact that we all started out you know, with desires, sinful desires of the flesh. And that's when Paul's saying, you know, we all once walked like that. And we were these children by nature, children of wrath, just as everybody else was. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So verse 4, he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us. Turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 12. Paul says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord, Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. And that's what he's saying here. In verses 4 and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. There used to be that big distinction between Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile. God's program 
of what he was offering to the nation of Israel wasn't available to the, to the Gentiles. And so throughout Paul's writings, we'll see these distinctions where in the past, it was very different between Jew and Greek. And now that's changed. And now there is no difference between Jew and Greek because anyone who in faith calls on Christ has God's salvation available to them. And so that's what Paul's saying, that why? Because God who is rich in mercy, and it's because of His great love that He does this. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul's saying here that rare is, is the righteous man that would die for someone else, uh, another righteous man, that he might do it. But what Paul's saying is here, but even though all of us were unrighteous, God was willing to have His Son die for us. That's the picture of how much God loves us. When we were so unworthy, because we are so unworthy of His love um, and His sacrifice, He was willing to do that because He loves us that much. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should, be, should, be, should no longer be slaves of sin. And that is the outcome of this great love that God has for us. That by His grace and His mercy, He was willing to sacrifice His Son for us. We can have that newness that Paul's talking about there. And we no longer have to be slaves to sin. Because we're all born in a condition where we're a slave to sin. That's the condition that we're born in. And so because He loves us, He's willing to do that for us so that we no longer have to live in that condition. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And verse 6, he goes on and says, And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's interesting there, there's two words there that says, And raised us up together and made us sit together. I'm not going to bore you with Greek lessons or anything, but those verb tenses there are, are immediate and direct. So at our moment of salvation, we are... We are raised up with Christ, and we are made to sit together with Christ. And the importance of this is, at the time that we're saved, is when we are now have that ability to be, to be dead to our sin nature. We have the ability to be dead to sin. We have that victory over the sin. It's available to us at the time. And we are, we are immediately granted righteousness in God's eye. Now, we all know that we all, even after we're saved, we all still sin. And we're going to sin. 
but we, it should not be when we're saved and we're given Christ and we're given the Holy Spirit, that sin should no longer be ruling our lives because we have Christ in us and it doesn't need to rule our lives. And I know we've talked about this before. Yes, we still sin, but I think if we can look back in our lives, we should be able to look back in our lives and see where we do have victory over certain sins that maybe used to rule our lives. I know I've got victory over sins that used to rule my life because at the time as, a, as an unbeliever, I didn't even realize that most of my sinful living was sinful living. To me, it was just normal everyday living like everybody else. And the things that I did, I did because I loved and I thought it was okay and that's just the way everybody lives. And then when you become saved and you, you get that new man that Paul talks about here and you have victory over that, a lot of those sinful desires go away. Now, not all the sinful desires go away. I mean, we all have our sinful desires that we battle with, but those sins aren't ruling our lives. They certainly shouldn't be ruling our lives. He talks about uh, being set up there in the heavenly places. And that's heavenly places, that's the supernatural realm where God, where God reigns. Think about it in these terms. Satan rules on earth. We know that Satan is ruling this earth. God is up in the heavenly places where that's his realm. So that as believers, what we receive spiritually, we receive from God, from the heavenly places. That's why we're strangers in this world. That's why we're aliens in this world. This is a rule, world ruled by Satan, and we're just temporarily here. And what we receive, we receive from the heavenly places. And that's what it means to be, to sit together in the heavenly places with Christ. Verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Turn to Titus chapter 3. Verses 4 and 5, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Again, it has absolutely nothing to do with anything that we do. No works of righteousness on our part. It's all about Him doing it because of His mercy. And ultimately, the question is, why? And the answer is, for His glory. Everything that God does in our lives is for His glory. You know, that's part of being a Christian when we recognize that our lives are His for His glory. That does a couple things. A, it breeds thankfulness in us when we realize what He's done for us to bring Him glory. That breeds thankfulness in us, but it also breeds in that desire in our hearts to live for Him, to do things that do bring Him glory. And so that's how that, that works in us. Turn to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this is, this is John talking. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. 
blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The key there is in verse 10. So they're crying out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation, that's what brings glory to God. It's when man gets saved, it brings glory to God. And we see all the praising going on in heaven. And I don't want to step too far off into a tangent here, but since we just saw a small picture of what goes on in heaven, I just want to say one comment about that. The Bible gives us bits and pieces of what heaven is going to be like. And I hear all the time, I used to be guilty of saying this myself, but I hear all the time people say, well, when I get to heaven, I want to ask Paul this. And when I get to heaven, I want to ask Moses this. And when I get to heaven, and will my dogs and pets be in heaven? And will this... The thing I think we sometimes miss is when we get to heaven... It's all about God. We're there when every picture that we see in the Bible, it's it's the beings, whether they be angels or whatever, but the beings in heaven are in constant worship of God. And I believe with all my heart that when we get to heaven, when we're transformed and we get to heaven, everything that was here on earth is not going to matter to us. And we're going to be there in the presence of a holy God. And we're going to be there worshiping a holy God. Will I recognize Paul and Moses? I probably will. But the things that I cared about on earth, I'm not going to care about in heaven. Because when I get to heaven, it's all about God. And we're just going to be, we're just going to be so overwhelmed to be in the presence of God that none of this other stuff is going to matter. All right, I've digressed far enough. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let me just stop right there. Turn to 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 9. And he's talking about God here, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Again, it's by His grace, through faith, that we're saved. And it has absolutely nothing to do with anything that I could possibly do for Him or do to earn anything. It's strictly, as it says here, it is a gift that He chooses to bestow. And then it goes on in verse 9, and He says, Not of works, which we're talking about, lest anyone should boast. Stop and think about it. What, were, what was one of the biggest problems that the Pharisees had in Jesus' time? They were very proud of their righteousness. They were very proud of all the laws that they obeyed to the letter. They were very boastful of what they had done. I'm reminded of the, the, the passage in there where, you know, when Jesus was telling his disciples that when you pray, go in your closet. Don't be like the Pharisees who stand out there in public and pray in front of everybody so that everybody will see them praying. Or when you fast, you know, keep yourself clean and fresh looking. Don't put all this, don't be looking so, don't be looking so distraught when you're fasting so that everybody will know that you're fasting. 
And that's the point that Paul's making here is that our salvation is it's by God's grace and it is a gift. It doesn't have anything to do so that we can boast. We have nothing that we can boast about. Nothing we can do earns us our salvation. That's why the glory goes to God. Because I have nothing to boast over. It's all about God. And that's what brings him glory. And that's what Paul's saying here. It is strictly by grace. It is not by works. Because the problem is, if righteousness was by works, we'd all want to boast about it. And we would be stealing God's glory. And that's why it's by grace. So that no one can boast. Romans chapter 3, verse 27. Paul just is reinforcing this point. Romans chapter 3, verse 27. He, he says uh, what he previously says, what God has done to impart righteousness. He says, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works. Uh, no, by, by what law? Question mark. Of works? Question mark. No, but by the law of faith. Again, Paul's point is, there is, there is no following the law that gets you righteousness. There is no works that you can do that gets you righteousness. It's strictly righteousness that comes from God. And that's his point. The other, the other interesting thing there in, in verse 10, he says here, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mean, I guess I haven't even read that yet. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So first of all, it's, it's his workmanship that we're created in. And then it says, he goes on and says that God has prepared these works for us to do beforehand so that we should walk in them. So it's all God's works. Before we were even created, he's already prepared those good works for us to do. With the reminder being, of course, that we do good works because we are saved, not in order to be saved. Turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 19, verses 24 and 25. In that day Israel will be one of three, with Egypt and Assyria, blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. He's taking here different groups, those that had been enemies of Israel, Assyria. And we see that, he, that in, in Isaiah here he's saying, that day will come when he'll say, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. It's all God's plan of how he works things. It's not anything that the people do. It's what God has purposed and purposed before we were even here. In summary, the key part of this, this chapter 2 here is Paul telling us that, first of all, we, we all come into this world a sinful nature. There's nothing that any of us can do to gain God's salvation, to gain God's grace, to gain God's mercy. And that in past times, when Gentiles were shut out of the program that God had, it's now available. And what Paul's saying is, this, this program, now it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, because you're all sinful by nature. We, we are all sinful by nature. God's salvation is available through faith, a gift that He gives available to all.
Thank you for listening to Study His Word radio broadcast. Study His Word radio broadcasts are brought to you by New Hope Christian Ministries of Mount Gilead, Ohio. For information regarding our Sunday evening Bible studies and other ministries, please visit our website at newhopemg.org. Please join us next week at this same time on this radio station for another broadcast. Thanks again for listening. Please make sure that you hit the subscribe button so you will not miss a single episode of our podcast. Have a great day.